0: Cool. Hello and welcome to the Into the Desert podcast, the podcast where we talk to inspiring people and hear their stories of motivation, courage, drive, productivity, and how their environment dictates their performance. Today we've got a very special guest, a uh, an award-winning entrepreneur, founder of multiple seven-figure businesses, former extreme sports athlete and philanthropist, as well as being a two-time best-selling author. Sebastian Bates, it's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Do you want to tell us a little bit to start about your business? So, you know, you've got multiple businesses. Do you want to start with potentially your first business? So.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, 2010, 2011, I started the War Academy. Um, that's pretty much been my main business throughout my kind of entrepreneurial life. Um, it started from a passion I had for martial arts. I was traveling around uh, Asia um, on Thai boxing clubs, and I wanted to do something physical. I'd actually kind of quit uni to start traveling. And when I came back to the UK, I started a, a course as a personal trainer. My first gig as a PT was uh, teaching a Thai boxing club in a rundown gym, um, in a in, a, in a city gym, where most of our students were kind of adolescents, young adults from pretty deprived backgrounds. Uh, they were going through, you know, difficult times at home, drugs, alcohol, um, domestic violence, all sorts of horrible stuff. And the Thai boxing club they joined, which I was running, was very much like an escape for them, but it was filled with testosterone. So what I noticed was one year after working with these um, young men mostly, within a year they were very, very different. My focus with them wasn't developing their character. I just didn't know it at that point. So I worked with them to develop their character. You know, Initially when they would come in, swearing, kicking their shoes off, now they were bowing as they entered the room, shaking hands with each other, calling each other sir. There was this transformation going on. And I think the, the cool thing about that was, it wasn't about martial arts, it was about character development, but using martial arts as a vehicle to do that. And so I decided to work with younger people because I had this thought in my mind, you know, if we're making that impact when they're that age, what if we could work with them when they were you know, four, six, nine? If we could plant the seeds of a black belt character early on, then what would the impact be later on? And I feel like there's a compounding effect of those seeds being planted from a young age. So that's what we did, started up with a a small um, kids club in a village in Somerset in a small school. There were 100 students in the school, 20 signed up for the class Um, and then very quickly we grew over the next few years to sort of 500 students um, and then expanded uh, eventually into Dubai Um, and now we're the largest martial arts academy in the UAE. Um, We've got six offices in Dubai, uh, three starting up in Abu Dhabi. Um, We teach around 4,000 students every single week in the three continents Around the world, and half of our students
0: are on scholarships in developing countries. It's an incredible story, and it? it really stems from respect and, and culture, really, isn't it? So you said you, you know, you came into this environment where you could see that there was a problem, but actually, rather than just sort of, um, you know, giving the solution straight away, you're ta- you're thinking about how to plant the seed, how to give them the ability to fish, rather than just giving them the, the end result, which is really powerful. Yeah, definitely. I, I think,
1: you know, I think I think entrepreneurship is just about. It's about solving problems, obviously, but, you know, a lot of people, they they have an idea of what they want to do as a business, right? And then they realise other problems around them that they try and solve. And, you know, my, my idea was to run a Thai boxing club and be a personal trainer, but then when I started seeing other problems and just being open-minded and listening to the market and, and then, you know, responding to that and trying to solve those other problems, the business then evolves. And I feel like that's the kind of startup energy that a lot of people how, you know, if you're open-minded and you're creative, and you're able to solve different problems. And and yeah, exactly that. I think our approach has always been about empowerment with the Warrior Academy. And, you know, planting those seeds, you know, giving them a hand up, not a, you know, not, not a hand out, not a hand up sort of thing, do you know what I mean? It's, it's about helping them help themselves. And that's the same way we approach bullying with the Not A Victim Programme. Um, and also now with the Bates Foundation, working with children orphanages, we're trying to work with them to
0: empower them so they can go and do things for themselves yeah some some incredible stuff and and so you're talking there about problems and and things to solve and maybe maybe a creative problem solver in what you're doing how have you found 2022 so far as a year it's been difficult for a lot of the world it's coming into 2023 now we're in uh, early november what how have you faced 2022 and how has it been a challenge for you so 2022 for us
1: has been a huge shift ultimately from a lifestyle business to a performance business. I think the beginning of this year we had about nine employees in the UAE. Um, We went on this journey developing the team from nine to thirty within sort of seven months. Um, When I I kind of look back at where we've come in that you know sort of short amount of time it's it's you know it's there are so many different challenges that we had to solve culturally within the team um, from a structure point of view from a um a strategy point of view the the lines of communication then change massively when you've got you know you go from a team of nine to a team of 30. you know it's one conversation can can be had with you know several different people and it can mean something very different by the time we get somewhere else i think for us the biggest shift was you know we, we needed alignment so we started off the year with the annual uh, retreat which we had to rebrand as the annual not a retreat which i know you're aware of um which was an amazing three days but we pretty much took our took our team from around the world, UK and Dubai, on this journey through our three core values: team first, think big, take risks. Um, and yeah, that was a that was a game changer for us, and a really great way to start the year up. But um, I, I think having that alignment through that event, and then looking forward, and having the whole team fully aware and you know on board with where we're going, um, is, is a super exciting time. So the so the year has been transformational from a cultural. Point of view from a, from a strategy point of view, from a structural point of view,
0: um, and then we implemented a lot of stuff. So, yeah, it's been a great year, absolutely. And you've also you touched there upon, upon the Bates Foundation, which has really taken leaps and bounds this year, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean
1: that thing started what six months ago. Six months ago, it started with Peter, and um, we had no idea what to expect. Right, it was just again, you know, one of the things I said to Peter when he came aboard as a COO of the Bates Foundation was, "We're going to start something which will be a legacy, which you know." When I, when I pitched to him to try and get him to take the job <laughs> it was um i want to build something that outlives both of us that's bigger than us that's got a hundred year plan to it and that i think was inspiring for both of us and what i said to him was when we when we launched warrior academies in developing countries which was the plan right to so launch the warrior academy in places where they would never have access before and um, you know developing countries orphanages slums homeless shelters rural primary schools in in you know living in poverty, where children have to walk several hours to get to school for one meal a day, and bringing character development to those locations. When I you know when I started that with Peter, it was very much as we are going to go in with this, but I, I you know I can guarantee when we're there, we're going to see other problems we want to solve. And as soon as we are in there, you know we, we've now started to see other problems that we can solve. They're kind of cropping up, and it's the same startup energy when I started the Royal Academy with. You know this is going to be a Thai boxing club. And it changes when you start to realise the other things you can do to help. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the philanthropy side has really kicked off this year. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with Peter in Nairobi, um, you know, road tripping across uh, rural Kenya into some really remote areas um, in Nepal, in Kathmandu. And then Peter's also also been in um, rural Nepal as well, um, the foothills, of the Himalayas with schools and orphanages there. Um, and I can remember sitting, sitting down in our first ever, um, you know, partnership, which was with a transition centre in a, a homeless shelter, which is basically transitioning street kids, mostly boys, off the street into um, full-time education. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on this wooden chair and next to me is this boy called Jeremy, and he's covered in bruises and scratches and scars. Um, he's smaller for his age because he's malnutritioned he's being transitioned off drugs and alcohol and substance abuse he's had a lifetime of domestic violence um, and he was homeless up until a month ago and you know and he's only nine he looks six and I'm sitting there next to him and I'm thinking what are we doing here like, how can we possibly make an impact how can we possibly you know start to help here um, and I, and I came to the realization as I look at him and the kind of 30 homeless boys in front of me that you just start you know you just start and I think we've all got as entrepreneurs you know we've all got unique gifts we can give to the world. Um, when I look at what we've done, we've worked with 25,000 kids around the world. We know the power of character development. We know how important character development and resilience is and we know how that you know when you when you empower a young person with those skills, they can bring themselves out of a tricky situation. Look at the Thai boxing club, right? Look at what we do with children going through bullying. Look at the way that we give children an identity. And children have amazing imaginations. If you, you know, if I give a child a uniform, it's not just that they're wearing clothes, they become a martial artist. Yeah. And then they, they look at themselves, they make decisions differently. Um, and ultimately that changes the course of their life. So, you know, for me, it's, it's exciting to, to take that vision of how we can
0: empower young people and scale it globally where they could, you know, where they need it the most. That's the issue are was going to touch on there. So it's amazing that what you've taken there for your own development, your own methodology through the War Academy, and then you use the three C's there, and you've been able to use it everywhere, implement it in other places, find other problems and solve it with the same methodology that you built to, to help kids in, in Dubai and in the UK yeah and so so well, yeah I mean
1: a methodology is is one of those key milestones right um, you know if I, if I look at you know the, the milestones you, you typically go through when you are a startup when you're developing a business it's you know you, you define your purpose this is what I, this is why I'm here this is what I'm going to do this is my big vision and it almost seems unrealistic when you define your purpose right um, the next kind of milestone is is developing your method and for me when you can clearly articulate pain that your clients or customers are having, you can clearly articulate the solutions you're giving them, the method in which you take them there, um, and create a predictable journey. Um, then you cut through the noise and, you know, people listen. There's there's so much out there which is distracting people. If you can just give a simplified version of the pains, problems, and solutions, and your method for getting there, you'll cut through the noise. And, and often I find, if you look at character development, right, if I ask you what character development is, or I ask any parent what character development is, they all give a different answer, right, and you know that's because there's such a grey area, it's such a grey area, you know, it's, what is it, soft skills, it's confidence, it's resilience, okay well, what actually is it? And so what we've done is we've gone in and massively simplified it to remove the confusion. If there's confusion, there's an action, right, and so one of the biggest reasons that parents don't implement a character development programme with their children is confusion. And so I, I feel like your work as a business
0: owner is to take a complex subject and simplify it, and you do that through your method. Absolutely, and um, when you're speaking now, I was thinking of the what Dale Carnegie says in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He speaks about having a genuine interest in someone's problem, having a genuine desire to try and solve mm. that problem. That's the best way to, to, to work with anyone, right? If you actually understand their problem and you want to actually help that problem, it doesn't really matter what you're doing, they want to come to you they want that that end goal that you're talking about and so when you talk about character development you know it's a like you say you touch a lot of lives obviously making a massive impact how do you measure that impact across these different places you've got people that here in dubai and the uk who are paying for this service and you've got people in um you know developing countries who are clearly coming off the streets and that's an incredible transformation how do you measure character development through through your method so Like I said, we simplified character development, right, into what
1: we call the three C's, confidence, conduct, concentration. Um, The way in which I explain this to a parent is that a child will typically have one or two, but rarely all three C's to a high level. So those three C's, you know, a child may have um, high confidence, but low conduct and low concentration. So they're typically wanting to put their hand up in class, try new things, leave their comfort zone, but they may lack in behaviour and concentration and focus might slip. you know, it could be that we're out, high levels of concentration and conduct and low levels of confidence. And what we find is that if we focus on developing that to a high level, we develop what we call a black belt character. So that's our goal. Parents join us and they think that their child needs a black belt, but ultimately we give them as a black belt character. And when I look at how we analyze that, the first thing we do, the first step, is we ask parents to develop or to fill in a breakthrough area assessment. So that breakthrough area assessment actually gives a parent a score on their child's confidence, conduct, and concentration. So up until this point, and I've never seen a, um, a character development organization out there that does this, that actually analyzes and gives a score for their child's character. You know, soft skills, like I said, big gray area, really knows what it is, and now we're coming in and saying, actually, you can get a score for this. And then what we do is every two, three months, we set goals with them, we look at their score, 40% in confidence, 35% in conduct, 60% in concentration. Okay, let's work with you to develop your, your confidence by 20% in the next three months. When you can sit down with a parent and say, your child's score in confidence is going to rise by this much, you remove that confusion, you make the path predictable, you set targets on the way, and then the whole journey becomes like this remarkable transformation. And so that's what we do. And we had some incredible results. We're really data-driven. So the, um, if I look at, you know, look at the last couple of years, we've, we've got you know, we've interviewed thousands of parents and we've got over a hundred thousand data points, um, which, you know, have shown that you know the stats are kind of the top of my head, but something like confidence within the first twelve months on average increases by eighty percent, you know, conduct increases by about twelve to thirteen percent, concentration increases by about forty percent. And so, you know, this is not us making up figures, this is parents doing a self-assessment every three months and then showing us the data, showing us what our work's doing. So the, the, the core way in which we analyse the
0: effectiveness of the programme is through that regular assessment. It's incredible and, and as, as we know, uh, successful businesses are often driven by data and their data points and it's fantastic to hear that you've got so much data around what you're doing. And so do you feel that you can iterate and change your process to benefit and evolve the, the methodology and the children as you go forward? You're learning from the parents and their, their feedback and this data point. How can you then take that forward and improve your process, your instructors, your employees, your whole system? Yeah, you know what? I feel like a lot of businesses just guess.
1: They don't ask what their customers actually want, and so you know the, the, the problem with guessing and not asking is you're basically sharpening your idea in your mind, not the market, right? When really what you need to do, especially if you're a startup, is see. I, I kind of I mentor a lot of business owners, especially startups, and I I try and remind them that they should see themselves as you know mad scientists in a lab. They're coming up, they're mixing test tubes, they're coming up with ideas, and then they're sending it out there. Um, you don't, you know, if you're looking for a cure for cancer, you don't just sit in the lab and, you know, just work on one thing, and then you, you try and perfect it and make it perfect, and then send it out and find out, actually, this is an ineffective way of treating it. And, um, you know, you find out, you, you go back to the market and you test what works, and then eventually you you evolve something with the market that actually works, right? So I think it's I think it's very much a case of, um, having deep meaningful conversations, collecting data, um, you know, asking, not guessing. Um, you know, one of the first things I, I say to new business owners is, is become an expert in your customer's problems. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how so few of them have, have actually spent the time to get to know their customers, to have those deep conversations where they, you know, they start to read between the lines. You want to get to a point in your business where your your customers approach you and see you and they and they, they they resonate so deeply with what you're saying from your videos, from your adverts, from your brochure, from the way you speak to them, where they get to the point where they're like, it's like you know me, it's like you're speaking directly to me. That's a really powerful place to be. Um, and yeah, like you said, you know, it's not just approaching your customers like that and your products like that, but also internally with the team as well. What do your team actually want? You know if you're in a relationship you know ask your wife or your husband what it is they actually want right don't just guess um you, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily buy a buy them a christmas present or a birthday present without having a rough idea of what they wanted yeah so you know i think it's the same the same way with the team find out what really motivates your team and find out how they like to work you know um and then find out if it aligns with you and i, and I think that process happens in the interview stage because i think a lot of businesses they they hire people and then they find out later that they're not a good fit. And you know I think these questions of how they like to work, who they like to work with, you know, are they high performance, is it the lifestyle position, all this sort of stuff, comes way before they even join you, so that you
0: don't face cultural issues later on. Absolutely, and I think you, when you speak, and I know how you work, and, and you really resonate with me, something that Tim Ferriss said, which is that the ultimate form of preparation is not planning for a specific scenario but a mindset that can handle uncertainty. Mm. I think in your teachings, your mentoring, as well as your business, you can see that. You know, you're talking there about the team. You know, I know that you're incredibly busy, so you have a team around you, you've built that team. You said from nine up to over 50, it will grow in the future, I'm sure. So for you, how do you, how do you have, how do you understand or how do you know to delegate? How do you, how do you, how do you delegate? I guess is what I'm asking you. How do you understand that your high value tasks which ones that you should delegate, and then how do you go about that process of delegation? So,
1: my approach to delegation is very much linked to the way I kind of see entrepreneurship. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's I approach it like, if you're not building a team, you're almost being selfish, right? If you've got, a, if you're an entrepreneur, and you've got a problem you want to solve in the world, and you stay as a solo entrepreneur, or solopreneur, you're, you're kind of in this position where you, you are normally out of fear of not wanting to put yourself out there or losing what you've got or losing control you are if you really believe in your product you're denying the world of benefiting from your product and so a that's a bit selfish right b you could provide employment to people so you could actually go out there and help the world by delegating so those two things fuel what i want to do you know what i feel that entrepreneurs should do but i also see it as you know you Whenever, whenever I have delegated and built a team, like, we've gone so much further, and it's been more fun, right? Entrepreneurship can be quite a lonely game, really, right? And I, the first few years when I was an entrepreneur, it was on my own, and you know, as soon as I started getting people around me, it was it became a team sport, and it was so much more fun and enjoyable. And you know, you shared the ups, you shared the downs. You know, so so often when you, you you know when I started out, I had no friends who were running businesses, and so when I spoke to friends who were employed, they just didn't get it. They didn't understand the you know, the kind of disgusting work ethic you've got to have of working eighteen hours a day, but feeling like you're only working four because you're so passionate about it. You know, if you could work twenty four hours a day, you would <laughs> before you run out of before you run out run out of time. But the um but yeah, so so for me it's it's building that team makes the journey more fun. Um and and you get there further, you, you know get you get further but you also get there faster. Um, how do I approach it? Um I constantly measure myself to a certain standard of, is this the best use of my time? Is it a high value task Um, am I the best person for this job? Ultimately, as your business grows, your job is to replace people who are better than you at certain tasks, right? When you develop your business and you get to a lifestyle business of 10 to 15, you've normally done everything in that business up until that point. So you've got a good understanding and a good level of experience and expertise in everything in the business. I could rock up and be an admin. I could rock up and do sales. I could do. I could do the instructor. I could do the marketing. Right now, I could do everything. Right, and then you get to the, the, you know, the performance side of the business when you leave the lifestyle business, and you start to think actually, you know, I'm good at that, but it's now finding people who are great at that. And so I look at the team we've currently had. When I had that team of nine, we grew to thirty, and I said, right, you know, you're all wearing some of you that they're really very, very talented people in the group, they start wearing many hats, right? As the business grows, they're doing a bit of everything. And so it's looking at these people and saying, what's your superpower? What is it that really, A, lights you up, you're passionate about, and you're really good at? And then empowering them to to take ownership of that. That could be sales, admin, it could be customer service, it could be marketing, it could be technical delivery, whatever it is within your business, right? And then giving people specific things like that to really focus on. That's hard to do in the early stages because ultimately you need a small team of whoever whoever will join you and shares your values. You can wear many hats and and hack the fact that it's tough. Um, but then as you grow to that performance stage, it's giving people in, in, empowering people and giving them ownership over a specific role. Um, and then it's stepping back. And I think the key thing about stepping back is, you know, that sometimes it feels like if I if I lean in more, I know that we could operate at we We'll be 20% more efficient, 20% more revenue, 20% more profit, whatever it is, but ultimately then I'm staying in the business and I'm limiting the, the business's growth by doing that. So I know that for the business to grow, I've got to almost be made redundant. So I step back and then I can build these teams and focus on that growth. If I'm stuck doing operations or I'm involved in any way other than a termly meetup, I'm deliberately slowing down the business. So I think it's realizing that um, empowering people through, you know, giving them ownership, setting targets, and then really holding people accountable to those targets. And um, but trusting people. You know, ultimately, ultimately, when you build a team, you've got to trust people. There's no way you can control everything. You just got to set things up and trust people that they are actually
0: do what they're saying they're going to do. That's really interesting, actually, because I, I was going to move on from that one to talk about the idea of the ethos that we both I think uh, agree with, which is that culture attracts talent, right? So you're talking mm. there about how you've how you've Delegated, how you've built a team, how you've made everyone productive and empowered them, but actually you've also got a culture there of, um, or a problem where you've brought in people that are high performers, mm. people that are you know, through your own admission, are better than you at certain things, and you've attracted them from bigger companies, right? So you've had to then put a culture in place to let them thrive. So what's your what's your tip on that? How do you get someone in who you know is better than you? You know they might be paid a, a good, a decent salary. They had other options. But they've come to you because of your culture that you've built. Yeah. How do you? How has that happened? How have you done that?
1: I think the world's changing. I think people don't just want a job. They don't just want to make money. They want to. They want to do something inspiring. They want to have, you know, they want to either have an amazing lifestyle. Or they want to be a part of something special, right? So, you know, if you're a business owner and you're hiring people and you want to attract talent. You've got to develop your culture, and you've got to make people feel like they're joining something special. How do you do that? Well, you tell the story of your business. You tell the story of where you've been, who you are, and where you're going. To do that, you've got to define your values. If you define your values, then people are more aligned. And you know, cu- culture is far more than just a team building event. It's it's sitting down having uncomfortable conversations, understanding where people are coming from, understanding what their values are, and what they bring to the business. Um, and then ultimately, what do we what do we you know what do we um, align ourselves on? What what is it that that you know we have in common? And those commonalities form the culture of the business. So, um, for me, it's it's telling stories. And, and one of the great things we did was the annual retreat, rebranded to the annual model retreat. And I wanted to have that one event which brought everyone together, so I could tell the story of those three values: team first, take risks, think big. So we you know we brought the UK team, the Dubai team uh, over. And we had a you know three days. Day one was team first, so a big boat party and martial arts training together on the beach with the Birch Khalifa in the background at sunrise, and you know just amazing community vibe. The next day was um, take risks. So take risks. You know we kicked that off with um, a public speaking competition. I'd probably say eighty percent of the team are terrified of public speaking. And um, the winner um, we sent to Thailand for a holiday. Um, and. Then in the evening, we did um, the take risk session was a sea survival experience, right? Up until that point, I didn't know that 50% of the team couldn't swim. What was really cool about that was they jumped in the water anyway, and that was a three meter jump into the water, you know, a wave machine going on, two foot waves, rain coming down from the ceiling, um, and it was about surviving in the water, and they jumped in anyway, knowing the others in the team would, would save them. Um, and the last day was think big, you know, bringing everyone out onto a hot air balloon to, to go on a hot air balloon ride over the desert. What was cool about that was I was, I was on the balloon ride with, you know, 20 other um, teammates and there was just silence and I could see everyone just taking in what was going on around them, but also what we had taken them through over the last three days. And it was this moment of perception, which is what I wanted, right? They're looking down at the desert, looking down at what they're doing in a totally different way. And um, that's thinking big. Well, you've got to take people out of their normal day-to-day, Life to see something new, to often have that visionary mindset, and so the, the annual we turned to do a documentary because you know it was such an amazing event. Um, I told my wife that it was going to cost us more than our wedding, which um, Vicky was not happy about. But you know she saw value in it. Um, one of the um, one of the things I wanted to do with that was develop this recruitment asset. So you know something that would tell our story. Right, if you want to attract talent, tell the story. And so we made it part of our interview process. If you want to get a job with us, you have to watch the 60 to 90 minute documentary. And so in the final interview, you know, I sit and ask people, how do you find that? And for some of the key leadership roles that we've taken on, which for a small business owner, you know, would cost you a fortune to do and they're your biggest hires. You know, for some of those roles that we've hired, the first 30 minutes of a 60 minute final interview, we've just chatted about the annual and what an amazing experience that was. And so, that's telling the story about who you are, why you do what you do. And then I think putting an inspiring plan in place. In the same way that you attract customers to your business, and that's a marketing thing, you do the same with recruitment, right? So you sit down with a new prospective employee and you say, look, this is the journey we're going on. This is the journey you will be going on if you went with us. And for a lot of business owners, they, they focus on just the next year. But we say, here's the next 10 years of joining us and what that looks like. And we make that really inspiring. We talk about the challenges they're going to face. We talk about how we're going to help them overcome it. We talk about how this is going to develop their character, how they're going to change, what experiences they're going to have around the world, and how they're going to impact and make a dent on the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's something they're signing up to, which is more than a job. It's
0: that belief and that passion you know, that you talk with that makes you, not only can I see this happening, but I can believe you. You know, This is this is something that people are joining to come on a journey with. They can see the, the end goal. And, and I think it's really interesting you know, the current trend at the moment is around quiet quitting. Doing the absolute minimum you can at work to just keep your job. Because People don't want to go above and beyond, you know. COVID's changed a lot of people's mindsets, working from home and and really feeling maybe irrelevant or, or invalid, unvalued. And uh, I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about this culture, And you know. Um, we were talking earlier about Apple. And Apple, you know, they, they train their staff every day. When you go into an Apple store, you can feel that. They understand the passion, they, they feel, to me, like, they could own Apple. That person has so much belief and passion in the products and the service and, you know, understanding and knowledge. And where's that come from? That's come from the culture of the business. Mm. It's a very similar thing with the War Academy and your other businesses, right, where you, you've you put that in, you've taken them on a journey, and they're there because they fully believe mm. in the, the journey they're on and what they're going to do and the change they're going to make. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's, it's you know,
1: sometimes when I walk into a business and I speak to speak to someone let's say you go to a restaurant right and it's you speak to the, the waiter or the waitress and they refer to the business as they rather than we for me that's just such a clear indicator that you know there's a separation there and there's no alignment and um, so it's, it's it's things like that where if you've got that alignment i just feel like the business takes on this new life and it, it, it attracts the right people and, and like you said we're quite quitting right i mean quite quitting when I look at quiet quitting, I just I just find it so sad that someone would be willing to, you know, go to a job, spend so many hours of their day in a job, just to earn money, and then go home and have no other enjoyment or fulfillment from that, and do the bare minimum, and, you know, turn up, bang on time, be the first one to leave, all this sort of stuff. And let's let's call it what it is, really. It's 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 a lack of character, right? If someone's got a strong character, they're typically ambitious or at least they've got enough courage to pursue something they're passionate about. They don't just rock up, do the bare minimum and leave because that's a life without passion and a life without passion is, you know, a life without purpose and what's the point in doing that? I I just feel, not only is it sad for business owners who you know, who are having a team of this new generation coming in who, who are quietly quitting but also it's just sad for the employee who's wasting their life and it's, you know, for me it's you know quiet quitting is is is, is I'm, I'm sure it's a short-lived trend and um, but it's an insight right into a culture who um are sick of that kind of typical nine to five and they want something different and that's an indicator that you've got to bring on the right people who are inspired by your mission who want to join you
0: join you on the adventure and for me it indicates people want more than money absolutely it's a real balance isn't it culture and the whole being employed there's a real balance there you, have, you know people ask for so many things these days and you don't necessarily need to give them every, everything but there needs to be a balance between culture looking after the people the fair um, payment package you know it's an entire thing mm. i really want to move on into uh, sort of the main core of the podcast the, the into the desert section okay? mm. so um for you you know tell me if i'm wrong but i one of the main changes that you've made here is taking the war academy from uh, a smaller business than it is now, and moving it into quite literally a desert. Yeah, you've you've taken it into Dubai, um, mm-hmm. and you've expanded massively um, throughout throughout the UAE and, and potentially through the Gulf in years to come. And I really want to understand where that came from. What mm-hmm. was that catalyst um, in when is it twenty nineteen that that happened? Where you said I am going to make a change. There is more opportunity, and I can I can do this. So, the situation I was in
1: was it was 2017, 2018, and I kind of reached a glass ceiling in our business, right? We, you know, the, the business was, the revenue was around a few hundred thousand pounds. Uh, we had a small team of three or four. Um, I was earning enough money to be able to outsource some of the technical delivery, but we were at such a risk of if one person left, I'd be back, straight back into technical delivery again. So the the the, the business was at, was at risk from a, because it was so small, it was risky. And because it was small and I had just enough money to outsource some stuff, I didn't really have enough money to live an exciting life. So I was, you know, kind of in this balance of, well, the only way out of this is either, you know, to cut it down and to, I might as well just teach myself or, you know, keep it as it is, or double down and expand. And we realized that we were limited geographically by just doing what we were doing in the rural, you know, countryside of the UK. So I wanted to test it somewhere urban. It was going to be London. We've seen like the obvious choice, right? Three hours down the road, London, big city. Then I was on a trip to Dubai to see a friend, and I realised that no one was doing what we were doing here, and there was a huge opportunity. So we had a real bet the farm moment. And, you know, I took on about hundred thousand pounds of credit card debt, my with my wife and my daughter who had just been born, and we flew to Dubai um, mm. and just went for it you know, and that's probably quite a hardcore approach. I mean, we for the first kind of three or four months, I, I planted Facebook ads so I could measure what was going on first, and then when we got here, we hit the ground running. And very, very quickly, within a year, it kind of overtook the, the UK side of the business from a revenue point of view. Um, and I was working with the Royal Family, the UAE and Jordan, so I was flying, you know, around the world with them. Um, and then the team started to grow um, and yeah, so it was, it was a real bet the farm moment. And I often think back to, Entrepreneurship people think it's just linear, right? You know, you start here, you have one, you know, a couple of employees, then three, then four, and but it's just not like that. I, I just see it like entrepreneurship is, for me personally, yes, it's a long marathon, right? And, and that some things are completely consistent throughout. Your level of discipline is consistent throughout. Your daily habit routine tends to be consistent throughout. Um, your vision tends to be consistent. But there are sprints that you go through. And My, my approach to entrepreneurship is I look at it as sprints. And I very much look at and, and analyse and, and, and think about the way I feel when I approach, you know, certain seasons, if you like, of the year. Uh, I'm not talking normal seasons, I'm talking entrepreneur seasons where I know that I've got a 90 day sprint coming up. It's a busy time for us, you know, September to December, let's say. And so I'll go, you know, all out for those three months and then I'll take one or two months off completely. And so for me, you know, it, it's it's approaching it like sprints. And that was one of our key sprints, right? It was like okay we're gonna we're gonna go for it we have, we have to go all out it's you know it's all or nothing in that moment and so um for me it, it makes entrepreneurship very
0: exciting when you do it in sprints like that for sure does it make it more inspiring for you do you feel like that that's that was inspiring you obviously you've talked there about making this change and there was a certain aspect of courage said to do that right you said you obviously it was, slightly, it was calculated you tested it you put the facebook ads out there but there's a combination of courage and inspiration that you talk a little bit about that and how, how that happened for you. Were you inspired when you first came here, or was it when you actually moved in with the family? How did the courage impact you? You, know, did you? Did you feel like it building up inside you and there was an opportunity, or did you just say, Actually, let's bet the farm, we can make this work, but mm-hmm. it might be a slow burner? Cur- courage
1: is an interesting thing, you know, and I, and I feel like courage is contagious, just like fear is or anxiety is. If you were in a group of people who were super anxious and scared of making big jumps or decisions, you know, you're less likely to, to make a jump or you know or to do something. So that's contagious. Um, scarcity mindset can be contagious. If you're in a group of people all terrified about the recession or COVID, you're probably going to end up that way too. Um, what I found is that courage is also contagious. And so, I'm, I'm very particular who I surround myself with, and I and I hold my friends to a high standard when it comes to things like courage. You know, I I you know I very much want to live a life filled with courage because I know the benefit of that. Um, and so that, that's, that's the same with entrepreneurship. I think I think that it comes from your environment. It comes from the people you're around. Um, and I think that it's a learned process. If you look at the comfort zone, and we teach parents about this all the time, you look at the comfort zone, you know, there's, there's essentially three areas of the comfort zone. You've got the comfort zone. You stay there, you're not going to grow. You know you need to leave the comfort zone to grow, right? If you push too far, you go into the third, you start, start number one, you skip number two, you go into number three. Number three is hyper-anxiety stage this outer ring. If you go into that, you're doing something you can't do, which is out of your ability, uh, and, and causes hyper anxiety, you end up retracting back into that comfort zone. And ultimately, then you don't want to repeat what you did. Now, the middle stage where you go, you leave your comfort zone, you go into the high performance zone, within that high performance zone, you're doing something that feels uncomfortable, but you can do. It's within your ability. And so... When you want to grow and you want to teach someone to grow, whether it's an entrepreneur, a business owner or a student, it's about regularly going into that high performance zone and making that a normal thing. Right? If you regularly go into a high performance zone, it becomes a normal part of how you operate. That builds courage and you start to see yourself as someone who's more reliable, someone who says, you know, when well, I'm going to do it, it's getting done. And, and for me, I think when you, when you have that attitude to approaching problems, you start to respect yourself more. You have a higher level of self-esteem, your confidence grows, you're more likely to do things that require courage. And one of the things we always say in the More Academy is, you know, courage earns confidence. I literally look at it like you have a a bunch of courage, you've got so many points of courage, right? And your job is to use those points to buy confidence. You spend one point of courage, you get one point of confidence and you've got to fill up the confidence jar.
0: And that's how I see it. It's amazing, actually there you touched on and you're really talking about how your environment dictates your performance. Which is super interesting. I think it's very, very interesting actually. So, so how did how do you feel that your environment did dictate your performance when you moved to Dubai? And actually, you know, we've spoken to other people recently about how do you feel inspired in an inspiring place. When you lived in the UK, you might look at Dubai and say that's aspirational. I can go there. It's inspiring me now. I'll get there. It will be incredible. How do you how do you maintain that inspiration in an inspiring place? Where actually it's quite easy not to go down to town for a few weeks or not to go to the Marine or not go to the Palm. Yeah. So how do you maintain that and how is your environment here dictated that performance and growth for the business and for yourself? I think when you are in an inspiring
1: place to do your work and I and I, know I, f- I often think, you know, doing your work in the same place every day can actually suck that, you know, that inspiration. You can get used to anything, I kind of feel. So it's, for me, it's, it's a case of where can I go to feel inspired? Do you, do you know where the best place I find I, my best ideas come? When I'm on a plane, right? I don't know what it is. But when I'm on a plane, I sit there, you know, have a coffee, and they don't, they normally don't bring food over, and they're you know they they're like, "Are you going to eat?" And I'm like, "No, I'm just too busy," because <laughs> as soon as I sit on that plane, I'm like, you know, tapping away, doing work, because it's you, you're on top of the world, right? You're 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 out, you're looking out the window, and you can just see the world, and you're it feels like an inspiring place, and so you do your best work, and so for me, that's. Like one of the best examples of saying how your environment can, can create inspiration or productivity. You know, I, I can go onto that plane and think I'm not going to get any work done. I'm just going to watch a movie. But suddenly my mind wants to get filled with good ideas and I want to write them down. I want to work on it. And, and so I think if you can try to fabricate that in your home, that goes a long way. There's, there's certain things I know for a fact which destroy inspiration for me, right? If I'm trying to work in a messy room, um, if there's too much busyness or noise going on, it, it just it just takes that away from me. If there's not enough natural light, all these different things. If there's, not enough, if there's not enough space, you know, these different things. It's it's it takes away from that inspiration. So I think, and I guess it's different for for different people, but you know, there's there's certainly a pattern, and there'll be a, there'll be a system for it where there is a system for developing the most inspirational
0: workplace at home, right? And I think it's just finding out what works for you with that. Absolutely, and and what you're talking about there as well is super interesting because. It makes you think about discipline over motivation. I know you're a very disciplined person, so for me, you hear about going on a plane, it's inspiring, I completely agree. But for me, maybe it's inspiring because I'm like, there's loads of movies to watch, I'll get some food, look out the window for a bit, but you're saying no. I have the discipline to say, this is where my best ideas come from. I'm going to do work now, which will then last, you know, a few months of sprints for me. And it's the same, you know, we're speaking earlier about um, creativity. The human mind is most creative between the hours of three and six a.m. Something like that. Yeah. Between the three and six. Which is a unfortunate if you <laughs> if you love your sleep, right? But
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and and I think um, you know this is one of the reasons I, I I don't have an alarm clock. I get I try to get a bed at you know between eight and nine p.m. I tend to naturally wake up between sort of four thirty and five thirty every day. And the first thing I do is go on a go on a walk. Now for most people, a half an hour walk is enough. I tend to go on a one or two hour walk. Um, That's... For me, is a time where I come up with my best ideas. I do my best work, um, and by the time it's you know breakfast time, I've done all the work I needed to do for the day. I've had a good couple of hours of cardio in, and fasted, and
0: uh, you know I, the productivity and the knock-on effect of that throughout the day is massive. Absolutely, yeah. and you know it sounds like you have to be super motivated to do that, but actually, maybe you'd agree, it's, it's discipline. It takes twenty-one days to create a habit, so. If you make yourself do this every morning, or you know these different things we're talking about, mm. you can be disciplined to create habits, like James Clear would say, okay. and and make a change for good in your life, right? Do you know what? I think it's just I, th- I think a lot of discipline comes down to people to what people tolerate,
1: and people tolerate negotiation with themselves, right? So when I first started doing this, you know, I, I suffer a lot with arthritis after a base jumping accident, and when I you know when I wake, when I first started walking every day, I, I would wake up and I'd be in pain with arthritis. It would take me 20 minutes just to shake off the pain. Um, it would be boiling outside in the summer, be it'd be you know, 35 plus degrees. Um, and you know I'd be tired and I'd, I'd go downstairs and you know, I'd say to myself, look, why don't I just do work? Have a coffee here, do some work and then go. Or you know, I've, walk, I've walked all week, I don't need to walk today. And what I would say to myself is, I would listen to myself and I would kind of be like, I know exactly where this voice is coming from, but I'm not gonna engage with it. I'm not gonna respond to it. I would say to myself, look, I'll have that conversation with you outside when my shoes are on, right? I'm not tolerating a negotiation before I even get there. I'll have a chat with you outside, right? Mm -hmm. It's that kind of conversation internally, which I think fuels discipline. And, And, you know, as you said, there's a big difference between motivation and discipline. People listen to a podcast like this and might feel motivated, but, you know, they might go to a workshop or they might read a book or whatever it is and feel motivated, but, you know, discipline is, is listening to something like this and, take, and writing down three things and then implementing them that day. You know, discipline is implementation. Discipline is getting shit done. You know, when, you know when, I, when I look back at a daily habit routine, I always say to myself, if it's on the paper, it's getting done, you know? And, and, and one of the things I touched on earlier was how you develop self-esteem when you do that. You know, if, you, if over time you, you, know, you know that if you say you're gonna do something, it's getting done, you respect yourself more, and so by doing that, your confidence increases. And by doing that, you know what you decide to tolerate in your life changes. Your standards change. I think I think it's Tony Robbins maybe who talks about um, how people should, you know, the, how important tolerance is. You know, if you if you choose to tolerate something in your life, like let's just say you're quite happy to be overweight, you will tolerate that up until a certain point where you reach a point where you're like, whoa, I'm too overweight, and you've reached your tolerance point. And then you make a decision, because you reach a tolerance point, to lose weight. And so if you've got high standards, you typically work within a certain parameter, right? It's like, okay, well, you know, I want to be between 75 and 80 kilograms. I know that if I get to over 80, it's like, well, I should lose weight. Whereas for other people, they could get up to 90 or even 100 and not feel that. And it's the same thing with relationships. You could be in a, in a toxic relationship, but if you only tolerate you know, you know, this is the behaviour I, you know, I tolerate in a relationship. This is who I want to be with. This is the relationship I want to have. And you reach that tolerance point. I think it's about having high standards for those around you, holding them accountable to it, and then yourself
0: as well. Pretty amazing. I mean, it's back to culture again, isn't it? It's back to that culture and discipline and keeping everyone accountable around you, which I think is, is super super powerful. I want to move on really quickly to some quick thoughts. Yeah, don't cool got on. to be quick. It's just the section name. You know? We can we can be slow. I'll just give you yes no answers. Yes please. <laughs> so the first one I want to touch on, I think it's really interesting. You know, as a very well read individual, is a book recommendation. You know, this, this podcast is for people who are interested in entrepreneurship. You know, we're talking to founders, we're talking to CEOs, C-suite level people. Mm. What's the kind of book that you can recommend that you're reading that you're inspired from or you would just think is resonating with you in your life? We've talked a lot today about oh.
1: a shift going on in the world. we talked a lot about how people don't just want to make money. Um, I've noticed a, a huge impact in my business when I decided to really focus on philanthropy and making, you know, even with our local scholarships ten years ago, how that impacted the team culturally, how it impacted my life, and now we're trying to scale that feeling of impact, right, globally. Businesses around the world are changing the way in which they approach, how they measure their success. There's a great book that I would recommend called The Trillion Dollar Shift, which talks about that. It has, you know, 50 companies in there that, are, that measure their success, not based on financials, but based on their impact in the world. And one of the, one of the examples is IKEA, right? They don't just measure themselves in the financials, and uh, that's really of for you guys, too, you. they measure themselves on how many years, of, um, how many years that their furniture is lasting and, you know so it's how many years they're putting out furniture into the world, not just how many bits of furniture they've sold, which I think is quite fascinating, so yeah, Trillion Dollar Shift is a
0: brilliant one, perfect, it's a big book, right? Yeah, big book, <laughs> Yeah, big heavy book, yeah. Perfect, the next thing I want to ask you, you know we spoke a lot about courage here, what is your recommendation for courage? How do you instill courage in someone, how do you become courageous? Courage
1: comes from small decisions. Courage comes from holding yourself accountable, from raising your standards, and then saying to yourself, you know, if it's on the paper, it's getting done. Courage comes from your environment, and courage comes from the understanding that in order to go anywhere in life, you need to feel uncomfortable. Um, and that's that's that all takes courage, but I often find that it's contagious, and. Your level of courage grows
0: each time you put yourself out there. And putting yourself out there is is a really nice segue onto the next question I really want to ask you, which is: How often do you learn something new? How often do you get outside your comfort zone and learn something new? Which is super important for the human mind, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean,
1: especially in the startup days, I was I was you know I I felt like a sponge. I was always learning. And I spend more on mentoring than I do on living, (laughs) which you know is is crazy when I think about it. But also. I think you know, people don't invest enough into themselves. They're willing to spend 10,000 pounds on holiday, which is a two-week thing, a great experience, but you know, that, that could have been 10,000 pounds they spend on a mentor for the year who could you know, elevate their business or their relationships or their mind or their body. Um, you know, I, think, I think when it comes to, to learning new things, you need to find people who are where you want to be and then surround yourself with people like that. So I, I look at the, the various pillars of my life, health, nutrition, um, fitness, business, philanthropy, and you know, so on. And I try and find experts in every field and then have them as mentors to teach me new things. Um, but certainly I feel like a lot of businesses, they already know enough. They're just not creating, they're not creating. They're consuming mm-hmm. rather than creating. And their time has come just to get out there and start creating their own stuff from their own thoughts. You know, as Dan Priestley says, right? And we both know they're you know, we're all sitting on a mountain of value. It's just about
0: leveraging that and, and getting it out into the world. Absolutely, yeah, it's fantastic, fantastic advice. Um, the next question I really wanna ask you is, how often do you change or adapt your environment to suit your needs? You mentioned earlier that you'd like to work in a clean space, you'd like to work somewhere that's mm. inspiring and you like it to be different. It hasn't cool. always gotta be the same place. So how do you change or adapt that environment to suit you? It's a really interesting one. I, I kind of feel like I'm a, I, I like, I think, Typically every month or two,
1: a change of environment in some way, right? I mean, some people like to shift the sofas around the house, and my wife does that every week. Um, but you know, it's. I think just just finding somewhere inspiring to work is enough. Um, Sometimes familiarity is great, right? Consistency, just having the same, the same setup works well. But often, you know, mixing things up, having a fresh a
0: fresh look, can can make a big difference. It's interesting. We've not had the answer of uh, familiarity before, but that is it's really interesting, right? It's. That association and that comfort for some people that will be inspiring that's really and that's when they do their best work so yeah it's a really really interesting uh, answer there I'd love to know a quote that inspires you some people maybe you don't have one but me some people have a quote that sort of sits with them and they reflect on now and again maybe you have one maybe you have a few do you know what I think I actually got a quote for you I wrote this down I, I saw this on
1: Instagram and I wrote it down mm. and I was just like this is amazing Here's a quote, I'm not exactly sure who it's from. Maybe it resonates with you though. Surround yourself with relentless humans. People who plan in decades, but live in moments. Train like savages, but create like artists. Obsess in work, relax in life. People who know this is finite, but choose to play an infinite game. Find people scaling mountains and climb together. I love that. Great, bro. Right. And that's that really resonates. with what you've been saying through this yeah. entire podcast. <laughs> right? You like it's, it's a good it's, way to finish it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Even the stuff about team and you know, d- cl- you know, building that vision, that journey, and then finding people to join you on that adventure. I love that. I think that's cool. And I th- and I love the whole, you know, find relentless people because it's so it's so much about, you know, that high
0: performance culture. Exactly. It's so important. And it, if it's important to you, that's what you have to surround yourself with. Exactly. Really brilliant answers there. So what have you got coming up? What are your next projects? Your next business exciting adventures, expansions, speaking events? What have you got coming up? We, so, this,
1: I've literally just come back from Nepal, where we, where we launched the Bates Foundation into several orphanages and um, homeless shelters and uh, rural schools there. We've got, I'm going to London in two weeks to give a talk um, to 300 business owners there about how they can make a bigger impact on the world. Um, Then we've got, we're in the middle of refurbing eight new offices in the UAE Um, and then the next six months we'll be launching in Abu Dhabi and also in another country in Doha, in Qatar. So yeah, all of that's going on. Loads of exciting
0: stuff. really busy I'm glad we went (laughs) over productivity and delegation there. (laughs) It's a a busy few months for you. Um, And the last (laughs) question I'm going to ask you today before we we let you go is, uh, if you had a full free day, how would you spend it? If I had a full free day, they come around very quickly for you, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, I would probably end up spending at work because I enjoy work. <laughs> yeah. But if
1: I had a full free day, hmm. how would I spend it? Anywhere in the world, or? Yep.
0: With anyone, anywhere you like.
1: I'd wake up on a mountain for sunrise, naturally, not an alarm. And I'd have a coffee with my wife, out overlooking the mountain with the sunrise coming up. I then go on a hike with my kids um, through the mountains, through the forest, have an amazing view, come back, um, have some breakfast, and then do something active, you know, get the heart rate up, but then just go and enjoy some amazing food somewhere. I'm basically describing a a typical day for us in Italy, I think, but yeah, (laughs) um, you know, I think I do that. We love food, we love outdoors, and that for me, and being in the mountains, I find, to talk about environment, I find being in the mountains such an inspiring place to be. Um, there's something there's something about being in mountains, which for me is, you know, there's the, the caveman inside me just loves it, right? You're just so in touch with nature when you're there, and it makes you feel so small, but part of something so incredible. So, so yeah, spending the, spending the days in the mountains for me would be
0: the, the best way to spend a day. Sounds like an absolutely perfect day. I might, uh, I might join you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't mention you are in it, right? I'm, so, I'm coming along. It's <laughs> my perfect day, your perfect day. It's, still my name. <laughs> it's been uh, really good to have you on, Sebastian. Thank you so much, and uh, take care of all the best in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you.